Hello there, listener. This episode of The Second Tier is sponsored by Boot and Ball. They make artwork inspired by the world of sport. They've got 225 designs, 60 of which are for different football teams, including the likes of Reading, Derby, Blackburn, QPR. You get the idea. All their artwork is available via print, frame print and canvas. And because you're a listener of this superb podcast, you can get 15% off using the code SECONDTIER. That's one word, all in capitals. Why not have a gander and see if something takes your fancy? Go to bootandballprints.com right now. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Eric Alonso to my Jabby Alonso. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. How are you, Justin? I'm tip-top, absolutely buzzing that the gyms and hairdressers are going to be open because then I can try and fit into all the football shirts I've been buying for the last three months. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> and that's the only reason why you want to go back to the gym. Exactly. <laughs> On the show today, we're joined by Jacob Robinson from the Norwich Podcast Canary Cash. Jacob, you're all right? Yeah, absolutely buzzing. Like um, like Justin's saying, I'm I'm wondering what am I looking forward to more when Norwich's promotion's confirmed or when I can get a haircut. Both I'm going to be fighting tooth or nail for, really, I think. <laughs> I love how as soon as you come on, you're just instantly boasting about Norwich going up. Yeah, yeah don't even care anymore. Might as well. Also, here is Dan Fudge from the Wednesday podcast, the Wednesday week. Dan, are you well? Well, you know, I, how, you know physically I'm all right, yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, the football's rubbish. We'll get on to that in just a sec. We've got plenty to talk about on the show today. You are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from the past weekend and talk about some of the news as well. And then finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. Norwich edged closer to the Premier League after beating Derby 1-0. A wonderful free kick by Kieran Dow. Now, I said in the last episode that Norwich would go up with a win, but that was actually wrong. It was if Norwich won and Brentford didn't. I got confused because Brentford have a game in hand. Whatever the case, Norwich are going up and they can get promoted next weekend. But don't ask me what's to happen for that to happen because I don't know anymore. So quickly on the actual game, Jacob, what did you make of it? I wouldn't say it was one of Norwich's best performances this season. No, it's probably been pretty much like the first half of the season where we just kind of edged it. Um, first half, Derby gave us so much respect and we probably could have had two or three. Second half, they played a lot better, had a couple of chances, but you can see why they're down there and kind of relying on 45-year-old Kazim Richards. And um, yeah, Dow's world is, it's just how frustrating he is because he can do that and stick it like you can have three goalkeepers in, in that net and they're not saving it. And then for the second half, he's just... You, you, don't, you don't even realise he's on the pitch. So hopefully he can continue that consistency. But yeah, overall, edged it and kind of the superior players we had made, made sure we won, like most of the season, really. Yeah, Justin, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. The Derby were pedestrian for the first half an hour, especially, and then they, they tried to allow themselves into it. But Norwich were probably, you give Norwich a, a bit of space and a bit of momentum, they'll, they'll take it all day long and they just carry that throughout the game. And, just left them with too much to do in the second half. Yeah, in terms of the relegation battle, it obviously doesn't help them, but they have been helped by results elsewhere going their way. Let's talk Premier League Canaries, Jacob. A simple question, how do you think they'll do? We agreed in a previous episode that they're stronger than last time, but does that mean they're just going to finish 19th instead of 20th? <laughs> um, yeah, tricky one. I, I think, like we've said quite a few times, I've come on that I don't think the championship was as strong as it was two years ago. Um, I feel like we, yeah, are better, but I, I still think there's going to be some recruitment needed there. I still think, yeah, well, obviously you have to keep, hopefully, Wendy. I'm kind of resigned to losing Max Aaron's. So a replacement for him. A number 10 and a forward for me are, are vital because whilst Pupi scored 25 goals, he's probably missed 25 key chances this year. And all in all, I do think that squad just needs strengthening so it can be because the Premier League and Championship gap is, is ridiculous. It keeps widening each year. You kind of, well, I'll know the best. We keep yo-yoing so I can uh, <laughs> compare them quite well. And um, yeah, we do still need a good four or five players for me to really push on. And well, that's probably just to aim for 17th really. Yeah, I think the frustration with Norwich fans, and this is what I've known from when I used to live in Norwich, whenever Norwich got promoted, they 
would go there and not spend enough money and then they go straight back down. Are you worried about that potentially happening again next season? It's getting difficult because like, if you sell Aaron's, that's going to be at least 30 million in the pot. We're all already spending 14 million with Janoulis and Gibson being signed permanently when we do go up. So that's still quite a big outlay for Norwich. I, I think the thing is with this squad as well, it's, it's ready now. It's a couple of years ago, it was a bit like, wow, we're ahead of schedule here. This is just let's ride the wave and see what happens in the Prem. And yeah, after lockdown, we got absolutely battered. But before that, we weren't that far away. Um, this is this time, it seems like everyone's a lot more developed in their game. Kind of everyone's a couple of years older and more experienced in the team. And I just think hopefully we keep actually senior centre-backs fit next season, which we just didn't have two years ago. And um, fingers crossed we, we kind of get there. But no, I, I do think more money will be spent. Not as much as what a lot of clubs will spend, but I think, again, it will be the Stuart Webber model of trying to find clever, smart recruitment, as he has done with Huddersfield and Norwich, really. Interesting. Wednesday's Great Escape suffered a big blow after they were beaten 4-1 by QPR. Quite a convincing scoreline, Dan. But despite that, I thought Wednesday were actually quite good and the score doesn't necessarily reflect the performance. It's been really weird since the uh, since the international break. We've had three games. Uh, one of them was a credible 1-0 loss, if, if that's such a thing, to Watford. You know, plenty of positives to be taken out of it. Then we absolutely smashed Cardiff out, out the back door and we thought, well, this is it, we're staying up. You know what I mean? We're going we're to finish mid-table, everything's going to be happy. We didn't think that at all. That, that was a lie. Um, but the but you know we know that a performance like that is in this group of players that we've got because there is a a, a genuine issue in terms of squad morale right now. Of course there is. Um, so the expectation was pretty high before we played uh, before we played QPR, and uh, it didn't go well. Uh, and you know I know you guys are advocates of the XG stat uh, on this uh, on this show. And, it, you know, the, the game against Cardiff and the game for QPI yesterday just shows what a load of nonsense all that is. I mean, I mean, we beat Cardiff 5-0. Our XG was two point something. You know, car, uh, yesterday QPR, our XG and QPRs were something like 1.4, 1.3 each. But it was 4-1. It's just expected goals. But when, when you really come down to it, the only stat that matters is the is the the score at the end of the game. When it comes to XG, the only thing it's ever going to tell you is... Did the scoreline reflect the uh, reflect the performance? And no, it didn't. I don't believe. I, I still think there are some positive to take, but we are a good goalkeeper and a good centre-back away from staying in this league, and it's too late to get anybody else in. So you're not a fan of expected goals? No, it's a right load of nonsense, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> what, what difference does it make? Like, you know what I mean? You got beat 4-0. Well, their XG was 0.1.2, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Lyndon Dykes got two of QPR's goals, including a brilliant header. He's had quite a frustrating season, Justin. But have you liked what you've seen of him in short spells? Uh, he's, a, he's a nuisance. He's a big guy. He's aggressive. He's, he's what you need in a number nine. Um, and the fact that he stepped up in Charlie Austin's absence. You know, QPR have won 32 points in 17 games with Charlie Austin in the team. So Dykes had to come in and, and put a shift in, um, and and he did that. And it, I mean, it doesn't help that Sheffield Wednesday gave him the time of West London for for both the goals. But you got to stick them away, and they did. Yeah, Wednesday have seen a bit of a mini revival under Darren Moore. Dan, performances are better, and you picked up some decent results. Is there a bit of positivity around Hillsborough for the first time in a while? No, not really. I, I think the damage is already done. I mean, I, I came on this show and spoke about. Tony Pulis coming in and how unhappy I was about that. Those 10 games we had under Tony Pulis were very, you know, they've had quite the impact on our season. There was no, you know, to have three permanent managers in a season is 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 difficult to try and galvanise any kind of squad morale or ethos or whatever word that's that's trendy at the minute to, that people use. Um, what is it? Galvanisation probably next week and all the rest of it, you know. Um, you know, you just you just can't do that with uh, with, with three managers in a season, and and the way that Darren, Darren Moore's come in, you know, there's there's clearly been a bit of an upturn in in morale, but as the games start to run out in the season, that seven point deficit that we need to try and break down is still there. You know what I mean? It it I don't I don't know how PG thirteen this show is, but it's a bit of a uh, trump to a poo fight. Okay, <laughs> we, we we get what you mean. Thanks. <laughs> so you're not too positive about Wednesday's chances of staying up so say it does happen and they get relegated to League One next season are you feeling positive that Darren Moore might be able to help you bounce back? I think that's what Darren Moore's uh, 
appointment was. You know what I mean? There will be a big, fat, hefty bonus if he keeps us up for him and then probably a renegotiation of a contract. But Darren Moore was a League One manager and probably is going to remain a League One manager with a brief stint in the in the championship. Um, do I think he'll get us up? Maybe, you know. I don't know. I don't know how the finances, because we've got this wage cap looming, um, you know, and, and, all, and all the rest of it. We, we signed Barry Bannon on for another two years. We have a number of players out of contract. And would that be the worst thing? Probably not. Because, you know, we've got a lot of people phoning it in right now. We've got a lot of dross in there, a lot of very average players. You know, you've got your Kadeem Harris, who's got no end product. You've got uh, centre-backs that just can't seem to head a ball. We've got goalkeepers. We need to have a complete flush out in that position completely. And we've got uh, Jordan Rhodes, who, you know, Jacob will probably probably tell you, has got goal-scoring ability in him. And he's done really well under Darren Moore because we've given him a run in the team. However, his contract's out at the end of the season. And can we afford a Jordan Rhodes in League One on a wage cap? I doubt it. I doubt it. So I think we're going to see an unrecognisable Sheffield Wednesday team in about four or five months if we go down. Well, Interesting. Jacob and Dan, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But in the meantime, Justin and I are going to take you, listener, on a trip around the grounds. And we'll start off at Vicarage Road, shall we? Watford beat Reading 2-0 thanks to a double from Ishmael Assar. But for Reading, it means their playoff hopes are slipping away. Joining us now from the Reading podcast, Elm Park Royals, is Alex Everson. Alex, what was it like watching such an important game from a Reading perspective? So ultimately, it was a very frustrating watch on Friday. Uh, there was a lot of nerves going into the game and it was just felt like it was premature after 15 minutes and two individual errors and, you know, two pieces of individual brilliance has pretty much cost us the chance of getting any points. Uh, uh, the rest of the first half after we go tuna down is a kind of a, it's just a really, really frustrating watch. And it kind of, it's been like that for maybe the best part of six to eight weeks now where Reading just, are unable to finish their good chances and push gas hitting the post and, and Mate having a really, really, you know, good shot, but ultimately probably made the wrong decision trying to go to the near post. Um, those are our two main chances of the half and we don't put either of them away. And the second half, Watford just shut us down completely and we had the chances in the first half there to come back into the game and didn't take them. And that's just really, really frustrating to see. Yeah, it's been a bad weekend, doesn't it? Because obviously you lost and then all of the teams in the top six won, which means your chances of finishing in the playoffs are looking slim now, aren't they? Yeah, I really wanted to avoid watching all the game or the results coming in on Saturday afternoon. And uh, ultimately, when I looked at my uh, looked at my phone to check the scores at 5pm, it was not a happy, uh, happy moment. With every other team winning, Really, we're relying on a little, little bit of luck needed now to get into the playoffs, I think. Um, it's either that or go on a run of four wins out of five, potentially, which, can we do it? Yes, we can, but it's you know it, it's looking unlikely, I would say, currently. Um, the game against Swansea we've got in two weeks' time is, is huge. If we drop points there, if we drop points against Cardiff next weekend... Uh, realistically, a lot of these games that are coming up now are just—they're all must-win games, and it's—it's um, going to be difficult, I think, for us to to claw that gap back now. So, just to kind of round things up, Alex, what needs to change for Reading to go on that unbeaten run? We need to take our chances, basically. If Mate, Pushkas, and Zhao are able to put the chances away when they get them, we have we have a chance. Um, because we're still creating chances, we're still we're still looking like a, a decent side going forwards, but we're just not converting when we need to. And ultimately, that's the that's the main crux of the issue at the moment is that we're creating enough chances, but we're not actually scoring. If we were able to put these chances away, then I, I don't really think that any of the teams that we've got left are going to be. Uh, then none of them are going to be hugely. Um, difficult games to compete in at the very least and apart from potentially Norwich uh, but the rest of our games are all teams at our level I would suggest and we should be able to at least compete with them and then if we if we can dominate in the final third and put our chances away we have a shot but it's it's a very small shot I would say at this point. Thank you Alex yeah the playoff race seems to have been made a lot more clear-cut this weekend, Justin, with Reading losing and all of the top six winning. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, if if there was a, ever, ever a bad weekend for Reading, it was it was this one. Um, but, but I tell you what, I thought Reading were, were pretty impressive, and I don't think it's as probably clear cut as, as people might think. I know Reading are now outside of the playoffs after being in it for so long, but you know they're only two points off Bournemouth. Bournemouth do have a game in hand, but I think it's still all to play for because that performance uh, against Watford for Reading does does give you a bit of confidence. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think they can definitely take encouragement from it and say, well, if we play like this for the rest of the season, then we can take it right down to the wire. They don't help themselves when they're missing open goals, though. Georgie Puskas, the culprit this time. Not as bad as the Lucas Shaw one. Um, But Michael Elise's run beforehand was unbelievable. I don't think it will get the credit it deserves because, obviously, it didn't go in in the end. But that, that was amazing. He's ran pretty much half the length of pitch um, Reading two points behind Bournemouth in sixth who have got a game in hand I think if we take a step back for a second of course when your team has been in the playoffs all season and they fall out right at the end it's disappointing but that shouldn't take off the shine of what's been a very good season under Velko Panovic I know the playoffs isn't over just yet but if that doesn't happen then Reading fans should still be very happy with how this season's gone it's It's been one that's gone in the right direction after a couple where things have seemingly just got worse and worse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all about context because since that Yapstap season where they finished, where they got to the playoff final, it hasn't happened for them at all. They've been really, really poor. Um, they've been fighting relegation since then. Obviously, last season under Bowen was a was a steady of the ship job and this one and this one under Poundovic is, is progress uh, and yeah you also have to consider the fact that Poundovic had about two weeks with this side before the start of the season and he's got them into the top six for most of it it's it's a massive achievement and they're a team that are, are very functional and um, I hope that going into the summer they can build on it because they're a side for me they don't need much tweaking they've got the players there already uh, if they can keep hold of him they'll be a top six team next season for sure, we're not we're not ruling out this season, but you know if they are in the championship next season, I, th- I think they have to be a very heavy favourite for a top six finish. Well, the concern would be that Omar Richards is going, isn't he? Because he's going to yeah. Bayern, and then Michael Elise could very well go as well. So they're two key players who could be heading out the door in the summer. But if they manage to replace him, then who knows? Back to the game, Justin. From a Watford perspective, those two goals from Ismail Assar. Just astonishing. He's just powered it past Rafael Cabral, who was caught in no man's lands. But he's had a weird season, really, hasn't he? Because I was expecting him to have kind of the season similar to how Emi Brendia's had at Norwich. But he's he's not had a bad season, but it's not been a great season, if you know what I mean. It's probably expectation that's, you know, dual people. It's influenced how people might think of Saar and how we should be but let's consider that the Championship is a very difficult league you know it's not plain sailing for anybody I know he was linked with big clubs last summer I know he's got a lot of pedigree and he has showed that his ability this season second time he's been he's been fantastic at times but I think with any wide player as well they're going to drift in and out of games they're going to be inconsistent at times but it has been a good season for him he's been a match winner on a number of occasions he's Watford's bright spark this system that Isco's put in now is getting the best out of him and Seema and, and Pedro so since that tweak I think we can say it's been a good season for him but before then it's been up and down yeah it's definitely a good time for him to come into form isn't it right at the end of the business end of the season uh, Watford still very much on course for automatic promotion of course the caveat is they've still got to play Norwich Brentford and Swansea and that's the only thing really that's keeping the race for the top two alive they've got their big rivals Luton Coming up next weekend, could they spoil the party? Uh, Swansea put an end to their four-match losing streak by beating Millwall 3-0. Jamalo getting two of them. Tom Morgan is from Total Swans TV. And Tom, this was quite the contrast to recent Swans performances, wasn't it? A big uh, contrast in performance from recent weeks. I think it was coming. It needed to happen. Um, you know, the, the games before these really bad performances and really bad results of the four defeats, we weren't playing as good as we, we have been all season, but we were picking up points, obviously, with the late penalties. But then the last four games, uh, losing the four of them on the bounce has really, really damaged us, um, you know, table position-wise, challenging for the automatics. But, yeah, we needed to get back on track at some point, and thankfully we did it at the Den yesterday and you know, a good game. Three very good goals and the performance to match the result. 
Yeah, obviously, we've spoken a lot recently about how poor Swansea have been recently. Um, But as a Swansea fan, give us an idea of how bad it's been and why has it been so bad? Yeah, so prior to yesterday's win, our biggest win of the season, um, I think pretty much we only had a plan A. Um, Looking at our team, our setup, you know, Cooper found a formation that worked the back end of last season, got us into the playoffs, stuck with it this season and didn't really have a plan B. Um, it was, you know, fairly. It, I suppose it took each team the one fixture to work us out because the start of the season we were really, really good. Um, performances were good, results were great, um, and teams just really couldn't deal with our wing backs. And then, you know, our midfielders like Hurahan who come in in January, obviously, but then you know our, our wide players Ayu and Jamal picking up goals. Um, that dried up when you know the sort of turn of the year came. We played Norwich, we won. We then beat Luton, which was our last goal in the league prior to yesterday, which was the 13th of March. So Lee Bowyer said it perfectly when we lost uh, before the, the Birmingham game. He's seen how he played and we've got one style, one style of play. He worked that out. Birmingham beat us. Preston beat us. It, it's, you know, I think it's been pretty obvious to see our main attack has been our wing backs. And without them performing, we've really, really struggled. Yeah, and that run of form led to quite a few Swansea fans calling for Steve Cooper's head. Where did you sit on that side of the debate? In Cooper, we trust. That's all it comes down to, mate. Steve Cooper's doing a fantastic job. Um, to take us into the playoffs last year in his first sort of full managerial season um, was one hell of an achievement with the squad that we had. Again, this year, we haven't splashed the cash. Um, working with youngsters, whether that's bringing in you know, the likes of Woodman again and Guy He bringing in a couple of other youngsters from free agents, developing our youth system as well as, as best as we can. Um, but I think credit uh, Cooper deserves an awful lot of credit. So does the backrooms team. So does the, the, the squad as a whole. Um, you know, every club sort of goes through a rough patch. Watford did it earlier on in the season. They picked up form and stormed on. Um, hopefully now um, this can sort of be a turn to the rest of our season and push on. I think it's going to be playoffs, if I'm honest. Um so hopefully we can, you know, pick up a run of form, get into the playoffs, keep that run going in the playoffs, and you never know what happens. But Cooper deserves um, a lot of backing, in my opinion. People honestly calling for him to be sacked was quite ludicrous. Um, and I don't think there was many mature, older fans that were calling for it. I think it was quite a lot of the youngsters, if I'm completely honest. Um, and in my opinion, it was, it was completely uncalled for, mate. Completely uncalled for. Cheers, Tom. Well, the main talking point from this game, Justin, was Swansea's switch to a 4-3-3. I had a, look, had a look on who scored, and they say Swansea have only played with a back four two times this season prior to this game. So it was a bold move by Steve Cooper, but it worked. It, it did work massively. And, you know, this is why managers get paid the big money, because they make the big decisions and you know, dropping players to... to fit a system that they've been playing all season at this stage in the season is is massive and I think it could be a turning point for Swansea and you can't really lessen the impact of, of the recruitment because the recruitment has basically well it's all, it's all been based around a 3-5-2 so it, it just makes the decision to go to a 4-3-3 even, even more braver really because it's gone from the script that he's been going with all season yeah, Lee Bowyer said last week that he knew how Swansea were going to play. And then Gary Rabbit probably thought the same thing, but obviously got caught out. And it's a result that will also silence the Boo Boys who wanted Cooper out, Justin. And uh, you saw plenty of that on Twitter this week when you said that you thought the calls for Cooper to go were ridiculous. And this goes some way to silencing them, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bow down to this. This mob. No, that's probably harsh. But it's. It's. I still think the call is ludicrous, and I think this. This system um, that Cooper's playing. Okay, it's a little bit conservative. But when you've not been able to bring players, like the amount of money they've they've brought in through players being sold, have they replaced those players? Don't think so. They lost Gibbs White at the start of the season. Um, and he got recorded in January, so there's no number ten linking up the play. That's what the, that's what this three five two needs. They haven't got that. I know Hurahan came in, but you know there's a lot of ifs and buts. But what Cooper has done up until now has been fantastic. It has. You have to look at it as fantastic. And you know I might not watch Swansea as much as the other teams, but for me, Cooper out is just absolutely absurd. 
Jamal Lowe got on the score sheet and that's massive for him because he's been a player who's been really lacking confidence recently. He went 15 games without a goal, but this will hopefully go some way to restoring that confidence. For Millwall, I thought they looked all right first half, not as good in the second half. And they just really struggled to create that golden chance, didn't they? It's probably an issue that's affected them in tight games quite often, which is why they've got so many draws. Um, and also, I think Guy Wright pointed to it in his, in his post-match presser. They had spells, but they lost the game in key moments. And unfortunately as well, they're defending for the AU goal. It's probably what swung the game in Swansea's way. If the game was still nil-nil up until the 70th minute, you can argue that Millwall might nick it, but it wasn't to be. Um, and as I say, the defending really let them down at key moments. It absolutely did. Brentford ended a run of four straight draws by smashing five past Preston to keep their hopes of finishing in the top two alive. Joining us now is Billy Grant from the Brentford podcast, Be Sotted. And Billy, this was some contrast to how you've been playing recently. Wow, well, I didn't see that coming at all. You know, there's been massive debates in the Brentford TWA Twitter sphere online about where Brentford's going to go. I mean, we were top of the league just over a month ago playing some fantastic football. You know, everyone was saying that we're bang on for automatic promotion. But in the last month, our form has dipped dramatically. OK, it has coincided with the missing Rico Henry and also Josh De Silva. But also the players have been playing like they're, they're scared, like they're f- fearful. Like, you know, they don't want to sort of make those moves. They're playing in, you know, within themselves. And uh, we were a bit worried because we didn't know how it was going to change. But fair play to Thomas Frank. And this has been huge debate, as we've said, as to will he be brave enough to change things up? And he flipped the script this time, putting Bumo, who has been so-so this season, at left back, you know, doing that putting a back three with Norgard in the centre of the back three as well and you've got Janel out there doing his thing you've got Fossu up front doing his in, in the midfield doing his thing it was a different team altogether we went for Preston we absolutely went for them and we played some fantastic football and it could have been more yeah with the change in system are you hoping he sticks with it for the final few games of the season Listen, I think we need to do whatever works. I mean, the, the, I think the problem in the last few weeks or the last few months is that being wedded to the same system the whole time and it wasn't working. And if there's any criticism of Thomas Frank, and there's been a lot of criticism of him recently with a lot of the fans, you know, some fans even wanted him out. The fact is that, you know, he is a good manager. We are a good team, but we're in a bit of a hole. And we just kept on sticking with the same thing, hoping it would work. We've changed the system and now it works. So I'd say, listen, with the players that we've got, this system at the moment to our disposal this system obviously works really really well for us so yes of course we have to stick to this system if it works for us but there might be another game where we might have to flip the system again and he has to be bold the team has to be bold as well and the team has to realize that they are we've got a great team out there and they have to have no fear and billy top two it's still looking very much in watford's hands but are you still hopeful that you can pip them to the finish line I love the fact that pressure's off now. Um, of course, it's in Watford's hand, and Watford are playing fantastically. You know, since their new managers come in, they've been on fire. But the fact is, you know, all they need to do is drop a few points. All they need to do is draw a couple of games instead of winning a couple of games, and we just need to keep on the pressure. If we keep playing like we did against Preston, against Millwall, against the Rotherham, against all these other teams, then you know we're just going to be keeping the pressure on. And don't forget, we've also got to play Watford in our last home game of the season. So that's going to be a bit of a humdinger with that. And the Bournemouth game before that, those are two big matches for us. So at the moment, everyone's written us off for top two, which is fine. So we can go out, play our game. And the worst case scenario is actually we'll keep our players fit and keep them on a good run. So at least if we go into the playoffs, we go on that into a good run. But you just never know. They drop a few points and we keep this up. It could be a real interesting end to the season. And I'm so much looking forward to it. Much more than I was a few weeks ago anyway. Thank you, Billy. Yeah, on the game, Justin, Brentford were simply stunning, weren't they? Yes, they were. Uh, I, I, it's, exa- it's the blueprint of how teams should attack. Um, the, the, the overlaps from the, wi- from the wing-backs were fantastic. The low crosses, they were setting up chances left, right and centre. And it was really... You know, from a press pressing point of view, they had no chance. They had absolutely no chance. And I guess this result has been coming because the amount of chances they have been creating Brentford and not sticking them away. Unfortunately, Preston were the uh, the victims of that uh, frustration. Yeah, as Billy said, it could have been more. The tactical switch really worked. So fair play to Thomas Frank. It's just frustrating that they don't really play like this more often because we know they're more than capable of doing it. 
Could it be the start of a final dash towards the finish line? We've been saying they'll pretty much have to win every game for the rest of the season to get in the top two. This looked like a performance which could be the start of a good run of form. All they they can do at this point now is just make sure Watford are looking over their shoulder because they've left themselves with too much to do. But as you say, if they win every game from now until the end of the season, Watford, the pressure might tell and Watford might crumble. Who knows? But I, I I think it might be a bit too much. Yeah, it's, it's a big ask, isn't it? It's looking very unlikely. But as we say, teams, Watford have still got to play the rest of the top four. So you never know. Uh, we say it's a contrasting performance by Brentford compared to how they've been recently. The same could be said about Preston, who were bang average here, weren't they? They didn't offer anything. Uh, they were carved open way too easily. It was their biggest home defeat in 48 years as well, which is, which is quite telling. And as you say, it's when... You come up against a Brentford team who have been frustrated over a long period of time by not putting in chances. It's the worst possible game to come into. And um, yeah, they got absolutely battered. They absolutely did. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll go on to the relegation battle. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to classicfootballshirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, you were just telling me in the break that you brought the uh, sticker album for the Euros. Is that going to be what you're going to be putting all your energy into for the next couple of months? Yeah, absolutely. I've recently bought a house, um, so it's a. It's, the house is the second best investment I've made this year um, because that sticker book is going to be absolutely fantastic. And apparently, if you if you complete the sticker book, it can be worth a lot of money. But I, I read an article a couple of years ago that um, it costs on average nine hundred pounds to fill a Merlin Panini Damn. sticker book. I did a Premier League one from like two thousand and one, two thousand and two. And that was completely full. I might, I might have to have a look online to see if that's worth anything. But the you never know. the Panini one, how much did you say stickers were now? 90p? 90p a packet. This was from Sainsbury's, but I don't know if it will vary from supermarket to supermarket. But yeah, 90p a packet. You have to be committed. You really do have to be committed. And, you know, I've not I've not told the other half that, I, that I'm doing this because it is. You're just petting money for paper. Yeah, sticky paper. Sticky paper. 90p for a packet of stickers, though. That's Brexit for you, I'm telling you. Um, (laughs) Justin, the relegation battle is still very tight, but there wasn't much dramatic change because everyone in the relegation battle failed to win this weekend, apart from Birmingham. More on them in a sec, because two of the sides right in the relegation battle played each other, Huddersfield and Rotherham, but it finished 0-0. Matt Lax is from the Rotherham United podcast. Matt, I imagine this was quite a frustrating game because you had quite a few chances, didn't you? We've missed some absolutely glorious chances. Um, Crooks is at the post, Wings at the post. Ben Wiles has missed a chance in the last second, which I'm not, still not sure how he's missed. Um, but we played really, really well. Ben Wiles was best player on the pitch, ran the show in the middle of middle of the field. Played Crooks a bit further forward, behind Michael Smith, and he he flourished. Lewis Wing was superb again. Uh, we after the weekend result last week, we asked, we needed a step up in performance which we got, we just didn't get that extra couple of percent to make it into three points rather than one. And it's a shame because that would have dragged the Huddersfield our source. It's still in the relegation fight now, but it would have dragged them right back into that into that fight, taking a point off them, adding two to us with our games in hand. Um, it may well come back to haunt us at the end of the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You've had some unbelievable chances that you've missed over these past three games. And in that time, you've only managed to pick up one point. And Rotherham have got all these games in hand, but they don't really mean anything if you're not picking up points. Absolutely, yeah, it counts for absolutely nothing. If, if You could play like the best team in the world and score none, not going to stay up. Um, this is 
the week of death, as Paul Warren's called it. Oh, we've got Buzzersfield yesterday, QPR Tuesday, Coventry Thursday, Birmingham Sunday. It's about coming out of this game at minimum unbeaten, minimum seven points, we think, and we've got one point. So somewhere between seven and ten points would probably put us in a really, really good position. But then if we, look, if we go and lose to Coventry on Thursday night, best case scenario, we are six points behind them, and we could be, could be as high as nine points behind them. So it's vital we start putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and finally, Matt, last time we spoke, you were quite confident about Rotherham's chances of staying up. But with these past three games, that's changed things, hasn't it? How confident are you feeling now? Certainly less than less confident than I was last time. Um, the Millwall, in particular, the Wickham, more the Wickham performance than the result. If we'd lost, Dwingle and played pretty well, it wouldn't have been so bad, but we were awful against Wickham, which was a massive concern because it, it's... All these games are massive, and that Wiccan game was a big game, and we didn't play very well in a big game, uh, which is a concern, not just for that game, but for future big games as well. Um, this week's going to be key. I think next Sunday, so after the Birmingham game next Sunday, so by three o'clock on Sunday, we'll have a very good idea of where we'll be. We could very well be, not mathematically, but we could well be down by next Sunday. But then we could also be level. If we, if we find ourselves level on points or we're only three points behind Coventry by next Sunday, I think we'll still I think we'll stay up because we'll still have those games in hand. If we're more than six points behind Coventry by next Sunday, we're as good as gone. I'm not confident at the minute, but let's 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 wait and see this time next week. Cheers, Matt. Yeah, carrying on from what me and Matt were just talking about, Justin. We keep talking about the relegation battle and how tight it is, but there isn't much of a relegation battle if Rotherham don't make up for their games in hand. And they're not doing that at the moment, are they? No, uh, I think we're going to learn a lot more after this week. Obviously, it's that it's that week for Rotherham where they've got game after game after game. Um, and I think by next by this time, next when we record next Sunday, we'll have a, a much clearer picture of the relegation battle. But I think I'm still buoyed by Rotherham based purely on the amount of chances they're creating because they should have beat Huddersfield here by two or three goals quite quite easily. Well, yeah, they're, they're finishing lately. It's been appalling how they've managed to not score in their last three games with some of the chances they've been blowing is is, is, is incredible, really. But yeah, they, this is a massive week, isn't it? They've got four games in the space of eight days, I think it is. So this is the week for Rotherham, really. Uh, the 22nd, six points behind Coventry with three games in hand. Four games in hand on most of the teams above them. And of course, they've got Coventry coming up on Thursday, which is a gigantic game. One of those teams who will be keeping an eye on Rotherham's results is Huddersfield, who have become a bit of a draw specialist recently, haven't they? They've drawn five of their last seven games. I suppose at least they're picking up points. At the very least, yes. Uh, yeah. They needed to keep it tight in this game. After after that drubbing against Norwich, they, they had to keep it tight. Um, and it, as well as that, it was a game they couldn't lose. I think if they if Rotherham would have beat them, that would have been much worse than a draw because obviously they didn't collect up any, pick up any points. But I think it was a, a rough performance, but one that will serve as a bit of a bedrock for Huddersfield going forward because, as I say, that, that defeat against Norwich is... You, I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't have been you'd been forgiven if you're a Huddersfield fan and thinking oh crap we're going to go down after that yeah it was a concerning performance wasn't it so oh, yeah. at least Birmingham were the big winners of the weekend being the only team in the bottom 11 to actually win they beat Stoke 2-0 with Lukas Jukovic getting both of them what a man just did Lukas Jukovic uh, for some reason I had Lee Bowie straight in my head but yeah uh, in fact actually no Lee Bowie does deserve a bit of credit here because Jukovic's form under Karanka to, to Bowyer's, he scored more goals under Bowyer than he did under Karanka and played over 30 games for Karanka. So, absolutely hats off to Bowyer for getting the best out of him. But I think Bowyer, in his very casual tone after the after the game, said, if you just feed Djukovic, he will score. And I don't think there's a, a striker more dangerous at the back post in the history of the Championship than Lukas Djukovic because that is Djukovic territory and he scores goals from there. You just It's impossible to defend against him. Yeah, well, Bowie is absolutely right, isn't he? If you put in crosses, Lukas Jukovic is going to score your goals. And there aren't too many better than him at this level at doing that. And I can't understand for the life of me why Artur Karanka didn't play him more. You've got someone like Jukovic, but he just kept persisting with something that wasn't working, whether it was Scott Hogan up front on his own or whatever. Lee Bowie knows how good Jukovic is and knows that if you get the balls in, then he can make magic happen. Football is a simple game sometimes, Justin. 
just whip it into the box, let him do his thing. Uh, Jonathan Lecco played 84 minutes for Birmingham. He completed one pass. That pass was a cross that set up a chance, to be fair. It's not a bad not a bad pass, is it, to be fair? Exactly. Um, looking at the table there, Justin, it looks as if Birmingham are heading out of the relegation battle. Of course, they're still right in it, but they're heading in the right direction, aren't they? Yeah, it's that, it's that new manager bounce that it's just it's come perfectly at the right time. And as we said, if they can get out of that horror run of games that they had against Swansea, Watford, Reading, Brentford as well, and if they came out that rosy, they'd, they'd be fine. And they came out, on, I think they only lost against, against Watford in that run of games. So it's it's absolutely hats off to, to Lee Bowyer for getting them out of it. And as I say, it'd be hard to see them being dragged back into it based purely on the form of Derby and Huddersfield and obviously Coventry as well being, losing this weekend. Yeah, at the moment, they're looking very good, aren't they, Birmingham? They're in much better form than all the teams below them. And, of course, they are higher in the table, which usually helps. Um, quick word on Stoke, Justin, who have actually had quite a crap 2021, haven't they? Only seven teams have picked up fewer points than them this year. And it seems a bit weird to look back now and remember that they were gunning for the playoffs not long ago. It's amazing how, I mean, we've said it how many times, but it's amazing how how an injury can kind of completely derail a season because I think if Tyrese Campbell was fit there's a there's an attacking focal point there someone who's unpredictable someone who's very composed in front of goal someone who's got great movement without him in that Stoke lineup it's very static it's very it's very it's very Stoke of older years mm. you know it's getting up to Fletcher play Brown off Fletcher it's just there's there's less uh, unpredictability without without Campbell um, so yeah getting him back fit in the summer will be great and obviously recruitment for a player who isn't a target man would be good as well yeah they're a bit one dimensional aren't they and they brought in the likes of Rabbi Matondo and Jack Clark who we thought would provide a bit of flair but neither of them have really pulled up any trees in the time they've been there so it's a shame but their season has fizzled out very quickly hasn't it oh, yes. obviously their season is over now but the concern is that form from the past season tends to carry on into the next season so that's not a good look for Stoke is it Bournemouth picked up their fourth league win in a row after beating Coventry 4-1 a very straightforward win for the Cherries it is and credit to Woodgate because you had your concerns I think everybody had their concerns but what he's done is just simplified things Um, we've seen a lot of managers come in and have to do that mainly because the time that they have with the players on the training ground is doesn't exist because the amount of games there are. But they Bournemouth got players with quality and Woodgate's just allowed them to play. You know, Pearson and Lerma, such a good anchor in the in the midfield, and then that allows Billing to make those late runs into the box. It gives Dan Juma a licence to attack. Dan Juma's got eleven goal involvements in his last eight games, that's all mm. under Woodgate. So there's such a I know he's been injured at times, which wouldn't have helped, but that form going forwards for, for certain players it is massive for Bournemouth, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, he's on fire, isn't he, Dan Juba? He's an absolute baller as well. And if you give him the ball and let him work his magic, he is one hell of a player to have. It surprises me, really, that he didn't do that well for them in the Premier League. He didn't play many games, but he looks unreal in the Championship. And despite him having a few injuries, every time he's played, he's been a real live wire for Bournemouth, hasn't he? And I can't think of many championship players in better form than him right now, which is very good news for the Cherries, who look very much on course for the top six now. They have got Norwich and Brentford coming up, which could be tricky games, though. Coventry were very disappointing. They're more than capable of giving a team like Bournemouth a good game, but ultimately they just rolled over. It's that's the issue with their away, away form for me. The, the the home form is such a contrast to their away form. It's it's maddening because if they had uh, away form half as good as their home form, they'd be a mid table team. That's the frustration with Coventry this season. Um, and I know I know it's always going to be a big ask against a team like Bournemouth with the quality they have, but they just they rolled over at some point in that game, and it wasn't it wasn't good to see. But they got home games coming up. That's a positive because we know they can get results there. Yeah, they've picked up just two points in their last eight away games. And in fact, they've actually conceded nine in their last three away games. They've got a massive, massive game against Rotherham on Thursday. And unfortunately for Kov, they're away from home. So Mm -hmm. they instantly need to improve because if they don't and Rotherham win, then the table is very concerning from a commentary (laughs) perspective. Barnsley continued to be very good 
after they beat Middlesbrough 2-0. Another very straightforward result. It took a while for Barnsley to score, but when they did, Borough didn't really have an answer. No, and you always know when Borough haven't played particularly well or have been outplayed because Warnock's always got a bit of needle after. Um, and he basically said Barnsley were a one-dimensional team. And I, it's further from the truth. I know they kick it long. I know they play it long. But they suffocate you. They they absolutely suffocate you. And I can't imagine a, a, a worse team to play against than Barnsley at the moment. I mean, it's a little bit of route one because they've got to get the ball into the opposition half. But I can't. Im- it's like playing against a gale force wind because the ball's just going to keep coming back and it's just going to pen you in and you can't get out. And for me, that's why Barnsley are one of the best teams in the division this season. Table shows it. And um, they're going to keep picking up points. It's direct, isn't it? I wouldn't say one-dimensional. It's very much the Gagan press, isn't it? Where you press and then you get the ball forward as quickly as you can. It's It's not route one. Yeah, it's not route one. But it, it is direct. And what seems to happen quite often in Barnsley games this season is sometimes the game ends up being a bit of a tennis match where it's long ball, long ball, long ball between both teams. And then ultimately, that's what Barnsley want. They want teams mm-hmm. to do that because they can just deal with that long ball. And that's 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 why, the, that's why the, the style of play is so good. It might not be easy on the eye. It might not be sexy ground football. I mean, you're not going to get that on the Barnsley surface anyway because it's, it's such a rough, a rough pitch at the minute. But they're playing to their strengths. They're playing how... The, the way they play off the ball is where the credit should lie because obviously on the ball it is a bit rough and tumble but the, what, what they do off the ball is, is is ridiculously good and yeah I think that's why teams get a bit frustrated because they have to sink to that level and the, th- the thing is the teams who have beat them this season tend to be the ones who are able to cope with the press and don't get forced to go long ball usually the ones who get a result against them are the ones who play through the press and stick to their game of you know playing it short and what have you um, so that's the way I'd play if I was coming up against Barnsley Davil DK got on the score sheet again in this game Alex Marrott scored directly from a corner now he won player of the month last month which has once again brought up the discussion about his contract which of course is coming to an end in the summer what would you do if you were Alex Marrott Justin it's, it's difficult isn't it because he's 25 26 he's in a position where if Barnsley don't go up, for example, then perhaps he's going to look for a bigger contract elsewhere because that will be on the table. Because if we're going to be honest, Barnsley aren't going to break the bank for Alex Mowat. That's not how they do things. They'll be disappointed they're going to lose him on a free. But in Alex Mowat's shoes, in Alex Mowat's shoes, all the negotiating is, is in his power because of how good he's been this season. So he's going to have potential suitors, no doubt about that. And Barnsley have got to try very hard to keep him at the club. I think he's waiting to see whether Barnsley get promoted or not, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Before he makes any decision, which is understandable. I hope he stays because the romantic in me wants to see him in the Premier League wearing a Barnsley shirt, whether they get promoted this season or maybe next season. Unfortunately, though, I think he will attract interest from the Premier League. And you can't blame a player leaving to make that step up because he's more than capable of making it. And when you've got a player as talented as him, available on a free then teams will just be throwing money at him. And as you quite rightly said, he's coming up to his peak years now. So this is the time for him to make that step. And I think it is just as simple as if Barnsley go up, he'll stay. If not, he'll leave. For Middlesbrough, their goalkeeper Marcus Bettinelli got a bit of criticism for his role in both the Barnsley goals. What do you think? Uh, His statistics this season have left me wanting in terms of from from a goalkeeper he's not the best shop stopper in the division in the division he's, he's got very he's very he's quite tired with the ball at his feet it's probably one of his strengths but i think for me uh, quite a lot of Burroughs issues probably have been from a from a from the keeper um i know there's a bit of unrest amongst goalkeepers from Borough fans at the moment so i won't be surprised if he is not at Borough next season i know he's on load and but he's going to be he's going to be available on a free so yeah i, I think it's, it's unsurprising that he made them, er- them errors. I say errors, soft errors as such. I've never been particularly convinced by Marcus Bettinelli because no. when he was at Fulham last season, he wasn't great and eventually got dropped for Marek Rodak, didn't he? Earlier in the season when Middlesbrough had that ridiculous defensive record, Borough was still conceding a decent amount of goals compared to the shots they were facing. So then when that happens, you've got to point fingers at the goalkeeper. So uh, I've not been particularly convinced by him. I think that is an area that they need to strengthen 
in the summer. Goalkeeper's probably your most important player on the pitch. Um, anyway, let's move on. Wickham's mini-revival came to an end after they lost 3-1 to Luton. Wickham were in front, but then a Josh Knight red card saw the game turn on its head. Do you think it was a red? I do. It makes me wince, that sort of challenge. You know, he jumped in. I think that's the issue. He jumped in, which means if you do get a foot on the ball, the chances of your ball's going to roll over, the foot's going to roll over the ball and, and make contact with the player. When you make contact with a player at shin height, you, you're lucky if you don't break your leg. Um, so yeah, I do think it was a red card. It was it was clumsy. Essentially, it was clumsy, and um, yeah, it turned the game for for Wickham. Unfortunately, it got made to look a lot worse. I thought because Knight's stud got caught in the Luton players lace so when that happens you instantly go oh that doesn't look very nice um, but I, I, I think it probably was a red to be honest Luton really turned it on after that red card though didn't they they scored two fantastic goals before a good header from Elijah Adebayo Gareth Ainsworth staying as positive as ever saying his team can still stay up but time is running out isn't it if they win every game there's a chance but the amount of points that they've got to make up is 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 pretty monumental for, from Wickham's perspective, and I think the the manner in which they lost will probably will probably be a big, you know, sickener in the stomach because as a, as you know, you can be as positive as they can, but the first two goals they conceded could have been avoided. Free kick didn't have to be didn't have to the tackle didn't have to be made, and the, the, the Luwalo Ars goal very sorry to getting out to him. So yeah, I think that's probably Wickham down and out now. It's a shame. But they've given us some great entertainment this season. Um, we'll have to have a chat at a later date, just in about who we think from the Wickham squad could still be playing in the Championship next season. Uh, let's go to the final two games from the weekend. A great game at the Cardiff City Stadium. Cardiff 2, Blackburn 2. Both teams really going for it. There could have been even more goals. Blackburn still looking over their shoulder a bit, but this performance was better than what we've seen recently. I think Blackburn will be fine. I don't think they'll be particularly worried about relegation I think for now until the end of the season it's just getting performances in and making sure that they can finish the season strong because the season faltered for them and, and, and this sort of result they score in the last minute they come up against a Cardiff team who are itching to, to try and get everyone together to try and finish in the playoffs although that might be a bit of a stretch for them now and yeah it's a, it's a big it's a big result for, for Blackburn not only a last minute equaliser but also Adam Armstrong getting on the score sheet as well big big game big 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 game for, for Blackburn against Cardiff Bristol City nil, Forest nil, two teams on the beach and their goalkeepers may as well have literally been on the beach because this was a dull, dull game. Only thing of note is it ends Bristol City's seven-match losing streak at home. Having said that, they didn't manage a shot on target in this game, so don't start assuming things have necessarily got better just yet. Right, now it's time for this. This is the news, some of the big bits of news from the past week in the Championship. We'll start with this. Has Derby's takeover been complete yet, Justin? Maybe, soon. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's potential. It nearly has, from the sounds of it. A deal has been agreed and it's subject to EFL approval. Spanish businessman Eric Alonso is the man. He's just 29 years old. He was an advisor at Sheffield Wednesday earlier in the season. He runs a company called No Limits Sports Limited, which raises a few question marks in itself. A large amount of his money... Uh, from his family wealth, I should say, comes from vineyards. And he also gets cash from backers in Indonesia. On his LinkedIn, he's described himself as a boxing world champion. And there were accusations he's linked with a far-right movement in Spain, but Alonso has since denied that. Having said all that, it seems like he's a character, Justin. Yeah, it does. Sorry, the, the, it just popped into my head that the fact that he's 29 years old and he's about to buy a football club and I'm 27 years old and I'm pissing money on sticker books <laughs> so that's slightly worrying but yeah he is a character it's, it's 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 strange isn't it the fact that he literally released a statement i think on tuesday saying there'll be no further comment and then since then he's he's been singing like a canary in the media on sky sports and talk sport yeah from a derby fans perspective very nervous obviously but uh, can you blame us can you blame us derby fans for being slightly worried why are you worried well you go back to 20 years ago there's a uh, famous three amigos who were backed by a mystery consortium based in Panama 
that was very dodgy. Um, and obviously the, there's a little bit of mystery behind Alonso's backers as well. He's not wanted to disclose too much, which is absolutely fine. But you just can't help but be a bit nervous. And obviously as well as that, because of how he acts in the media, we just I think we just want someone quiet, just gets on with the job. We don't want someone screaming and shouting in the media. We've had too much of that with Mel Morris. So you're staying cautiously optimistic at the moment? I think with any new ownership, every single fan is cautiously optimistic because it can go so south so quickly, as we've seen with Charlton last season, Wigan. So yeah, I think every every single takeover, you have to be cautiously optimistic, especially after the BZI saga. Well, in terms of his potential ownership, he says more foreign players is central to his plan. In terms of how much money is available, he says they won't be throwing money, but if we need to spend £20 million, we will. If we need to spend £150 million, then we will. If the team needs that, we will do it. So he says the funds are there, if needs be. Not throwing money, but we'll throw money if we need to. Yeah, and also the foreign the foreign talent thing, it's going to be a bit difficult with Brexit. Um, it took Brentford about 10 or 15 years to get that model in place. That's really one that you have to look at. And as I say, it took 10 or 15 years to get it in place. I think uh, you have to, there's an air of delusion to what he says in terms of that model because it, is, it just takes too long to, to get going. Um, you have to be patient and I don't, it sounds like he's not because he's already said he's going to throw 20 million at a player, so... Well, he's promised to bring the good times back to Pride Park. Uh, We'll have to wait and see on that one. Swansea have boycotted social media for a week in protest of abuse and discrimination online. Shortly after that news was announced, Birmingham joined the boycott. This week, Ivan Tony received racial abuse. Not the first time he's had that this season. And on Friday night, Reading captain Liam Moore quit Twitter after a racist post. It gets a bit depressing, really, doesn't it? Just to remember, we seem to be mentioning some sort of racist abuse every single week in the news. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting as a as a supporter of clubs that that happens. So I can't imagine what it must feel like as a recipient of the abuse. Um, it's it's just it's getting to a point where it's ridiculous, and I'm glad people are making uh, glad people and clubs are making a stand now. The thing is, I hope this actually makes social media companies actually do something. Um, because it's just something that keeps being brought up again and again and again and I feel like it's just going to keep happening and nothing's actually going to be done. For me, it's part of a bigger debate, isn't it, about how social media companies actually crack down on this. I personally think there needs to be more identification in the process of signing up to these accounts because every time I see this racist abuse, it's from some sort of anonymous account where there's not much scrutiny on for the person who actually puts up these racist posts. But let's move on, Justin, this kind of thing just makes me angry. Um, Marsden midfielder Alex Maurer won Championship Player of the Month for March. Watford boss Iska Munoz got Manager of the Month, well-deserved to both of them. EFL bosses are optimistic about there being full capacity at stadiums next season. That's exciting, isn't it, Justin? Uh, yeah, it's great to have fans in, but there's the whole COVID passport issue as well, which might put paid to that. Um, so I'm praying to the Lord to get my vaccines quickly because um, I'm nowhere near them at the moment because I'm, I'm a fit and healthy 27-year-old. So. <laughs> not not sure about the Fitbit. <laughs> Transfer news now. Stoke goalkeeper Joe Bursick has gone on an emergency loan to Peterborough. Not too long ago, he was playing regularly for Stoke and playing quite well. So he's not a bad emergency replacement for Posh, is it? Um, of course, they could be joining us next season on the second tier. Injury news, Huddersfield striker Umar Nias is out for the season after only signing for them two weeks ago. <laughs> not a bad deal for him, is it? He gets three months wages for doing absolutely nothing. I was looking forward to the chaos he was going to bring to the Championship over the next five or six games, so I'm absolutely good that that's not going to be the case. I'm not going to see it. The thing is as well, Huddersfield fans were pointing out towards that he's actually been at the club since January, training with them, and then as soon as he actually gets a deal, he gets injured. It's incredible, but he's still got a chance of getting a deal for next season. Same goes for Yaya Sonogo, so uh, one to keep an eye on there. A final bit of news, Forest defender Joe Worrell drives a classic Mini Cooper. I'm a huge fan of this. I saw this and that's incredible. And it's gone up in my eyes. Not obviously have to I have to dislike him because I'm a Derby fan, but yeah, that's incredible. I absolutely love it. I, I've been around the roads near the training ground and they are rough. They are not <laughs> they are not tarmac, so I imagine being in that forty year old minis is not good for the back. It's an interesting point, not something I thought of. It it, it did look a bit funny because he's obviously a big bloke because he's, he's a, a defender. Guy, yeah. 
and he's getting into this tiny Mini Cooper is quite a, a interesting sight. Um, but another interesting sight is the fact that you've got the car park full of you know supercars, Ferraris, Lambos, and what have you, and you've just got this classic Mini Cooper that just rolls up. I love it. Fantastic. Well done, Joe Worrell, on your choice of car. Um, Justin, let's do some polls. This is the part of the show where we ask the listeners three questions on Twitter so they can have a bit of say on what's going on. The first one is this. Is the battle for the playoffs over now? Yes or no? No, it's the championship. It's never over. I would say... No, but it's getting there because Barnsley and Bournemouth are in form, aren't they? So they're the teams nearest to Reading, who are the only real team still left to fight for the playoffs now. So it's hard to see. I I do hope it opens back up because we want something to talk about for the final few weeks. Yes, we need it. Um, 41% of people said yes. 59% said no. Will Norwich stay up in the Premier League next season? Yes or no? I'll tell you what, I, I think they will. There, there are some crap teams in the Premier League at the moment. So I, I, I think Farkball will prosper next season. It, it depends massively on who stays and who goes, I think. True. Uh, true. 67% said no, 33% said yes. And finally, who is your favourite fictional bear? Baloo from The Jungle Book, Paddington from Paddington, Winnie the Pooh or Yogi Bear? As Winnie the Pooh. Why not? He loves honey. I love honey. Let's go for it. I'll get Paddington. I like his coat. Um, 34% said Winnie the Pooh. 33% said Paddington. 17% said Yogi Bear. Only 16% said Baloo. I thought he'd do a bit better than that because Bear Necessities is a banger. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast, CanaryCast, and Dan Fudge from the Wednesday podcast, the Wednesday Week. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight clubs David Nugent's played for, and Justin would say Preston, that's one down. And Dan would say Derby, that's another down. But if Jacob were to say the Kaiser Chiefs, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Not going to lie, I was seriously struggling to come up with a question this week. I'm really running out of ideas for this. So I've gone with something completely different and not championship related in any way, shape or form. The Scottish Premiership. Can you name the top eight teams in the Scottish Premiership right now? Um, We shall begin... With you, Justin, can you name me a team in the top eight of the Scottish Premiership right now? Well, I mean, Rangers are top. I'll go with the easy one. Let's go for that. Yep, you're spot on. Rangers top and have won the league. Uh, Dan, you can go next. Can you name me another Scottish Premiership team, please? I'll let Jacob have Celtic, so I'm going to go with Motherwell. Yes, he's great. Thank you. Um... Um, Motherwell are actually ninth. Am I out already? You're out already, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get for being gracious. Yeah. There you go. You tried to do. You tried to take one for the team, and you failed. Um, but the effort was there. We appreciate it, Jacob. It's your go. Celtic, we'll go for that easy one. Yeah, they're second, not winning the Premiership for the first time in ten seasons. Justin, it's your go. So I'll be honest. Uh, the SPL is a tin pot league, and it's very hard to come up with names past. Celtic and Rangers, Dan got Motherwell, they're ninth. That tells you exactly how it is. Uh, Aberdeen. Yep, Aberdeen are fourth. So, yep, spot on. Uh, Jacob, it's your go. You've got five left. Uh, Hibs. Yep, they're Burnley, third. Yeah. Uh, Justin, back to you. Dan's trying to give us hints and they're completely wrong. Um, <laughs> they're in the division below. Uh, Hearts, by the way. Um, uh, St. Johnstone. St. John Stone. Yeah, I pronounce every single word. The, the England defender. <laughs> St. Johnston. Yeah, that's right. They are sixth at the moment. Jacob, you've got three left. Oh, God. It's not. Oh. Ross County? Ross County are in the Scottish Premiership. Oh, tenth. no. So on, unlucky. Justin, you've got three left. Can you name me the rest of the Scottish Premiership top eight, please? Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock are 11th. So you Wait, failed. I, I thought there was 10 teams in it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there you go. Um, boys, you failed. The teams you were missing were Livingston, St Mirren and Dundee United. All those well-known clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd have gone for Hamilton as well at some point. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Hamilton at 12th. Uh, you've named pretty much every team in the Scottish Premiership apart from the ones who <laughs> are the in ones the top eight. <laughs> so there you go. How do you feel, Dan? Are you disappointed? I am disappointed. My uh, One of my best mates is Steve Clark's son. Oh. So uh, I, I, I had quite the uh, quite the interaction with Scottish football when Steve was at Kilmarnock, so I should have named more of those, really, shouldn't I? Yeah, probably sure, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of Scottish managers uh, in the last few years, so yeah, probably should have known that they do, what, what clubs they came from. But yeah, oh well, I'll live and learn. I'll be back <laughs> next, uh, next season anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely chaps, thank you for that. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Dan Fudge from the Wednesday Week, thank you for your time today. Yeah, no problem at all. Keep an eye on those XG stats. And I've just realised that this could be myself and Jacob's last time on this show for at least a year. Yes, that is true, unfortunately. Uh, Jacob Robinson from CanaryCast, thank you for your time. No, thank you. I look forward to getting to 100 points, maybe coming on one last time and gloating again. And then next year I'll be back uh, yeah. complete opposite and very yeah, depressed. <laughs> thank you very much. But thank you both for your efforts this season. It's been a pleasure having you on if uh, you are not in the championship next season the two of you so uh, yeah thank you for your time and yep this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on Thursday I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach thank you for listening 